I think it's important to us today, on the day of Pentecost, for us to, to take a look at why we believe what we believe and how kind of we got to where we are right now. So let everyone in the house of the Lord that agrees with the word of God say amen. amen. We're, going to, we're going to draw our text today. Uh, in a little different form, I'm going to allow you to just be seated because I'm not going to necessarily uh, just read a text and then preach. We're going to draw from our text as we go today, uh, not necessarily expository teaching because it's Sunday morning and for the love of everything holy, it's Pentecost Sunday, so we might as well have church. But uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about some things that I, I think sometimes get lost in the shuffle. The first thing I want to tell you is that Pentecost did not begin in the New Testament. Now, the church did. But Pentecost uh, is not, again, as I said earlier, it's not a denomination. Pentecost is not something that we decided like early 20th century that it would be a good idea for us to have a Pentecostal denomination. Pentecost takes its roots uh, in our Judaic Christian heritage. Before they were ever called Christians at Antioch, uh, Judaism has a feast called Pentecost. And what God did in the lives of men and women in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost is a byproduct of a feast that had began some 3,000 years, 3,500 years ago. And so while it's true that the church is in the neighborhood of 2,000 years old. If you start breaking history down, we're, we're somewhere close to 2,000 years old right now. But Pentecost has its roots much deeper than just the experience that happened on the day of Pentecost. Right. Is there anyone here today that desires to know more about the coming of the Lord than you ever have? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? So... Here's what I've, what I've always taught and what I've always believed. That if you really want to know more about the Messiah, you need to understand more about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Okay? If you want to know more about Jesus, then you need to understand the tabernacle a little more clear. Why? Well, because the scripture is divinely inspired and it leads us to understand that when the word became flesh... And dwelt among us in John chapter 1 and verse 14. That word literally translated dwelt among us is the word tabernacled. That Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, the tabernacle among us. So you can, you can find him throughout that tabernacle plan so amazingly. And I, I'm not going to make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew, so stay with me. But as we come to the gates of that tabernacle, we can see why the psalmist was divinely inspired to say, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Because we have an amazing opportunity as we come in to that tabernacle of understanding that at the altar of sacrifice, this is the place of death. This is truly the place of repentance. As we come to the laver, the very next piece of furniture, if I could call it that, we have the brazen laver that is full of water. It is the place of cleansing where the death that has taken place and the blood that has been shed at the altar of sacrifice is now cleansed. And also, it's vitally important to know that this brazen, brazen laver uh, was so polished that it was a reflective mirror. And so as you washed yourself, you could also reflect your image and you could tell whether or not you needed some more washing. This was important. It's the place of washing. And as we come behind the first so-called veil, not beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies, but into the holy place where there were five pillars across there. 
Five pillars that held up this first curtain where you came into the holy place wherein was the table of shoe bread, the golden candlesticks, and the table of incense, the altar of incense. Very, very important for us to understand this. Why is it? Because there's typology and symbology of the scripture everywhere in there. Isaiah 9 and 6 said, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. The beginning of the New Testament, we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts. It's the life of Jesus and the actions of the, of the apostles. Could it very well be that the five pillars entering in to that holy place, where is the spirit and the light of God? Where is the bread of life, the bread of God? Where is that beautiful incense that arises that we have? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We got the four Gospels that talk about what he did and who he was. And the book of Acts that tells why he came to do what he did. Can I tell you that he's all through the Scripture. You're not going to be able to read the Scripture in the Old Testament with understanding and miss the Messiah. And he brings this to our understanding in the New Testament when he makes a statement that some have discombobulated and misconstrued when they, uh, when they try to separate and divide God into persons. And they say that he uh, had to divide himself in order to operate in certain modes throughout time. But can I tell you that when Jesus made this statement, there was power to it that you and I don't fully understand at first glance when he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. To the Jew, this meant something more than it does to you and I. Because to us, when we preach, we say, oh, yeah, he's the way. Of course he is. He's the way to heaven. Oh, yes. He is the way. If you're going to come, you got to come to Jesus. He is the way. He is the way. He is the truth. Oh, aren't you thankful for truth? And we'll get everybody clapping and dancing around the aisle. I'm thankful for truth, aren't you? And truth has a name. Oh, yes, it does. He is the life. And man, we just go crazy. He was resurrected on the third day. I'm glad I know life. And it's good preaching. But to the Jew, it meant something different. And it's why they were absolutely, here comes a good word for you. They were bum-fuzzled at the way that Jesus would talk to them. Because when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was speaking tabernacle language to them. For that Old Testament tabernacle, as you came in through the gate, you came in through what was called the way. As you pass through that first veil into the holy place, you came through what they called the truth. And as you got into that holy of holies, you came into the place that they knew as the life, the place of life. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but by me. What he was saying is, if you want to get to the mercy seat and you want to get to the glory of God, there's only one way you're going to do that, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, he is as powerful as he has ever been. And if you really want to know what love looks like and how to turn your life around on this Pentecost Sunday, you got to come through Jesus. No other God can make the claim that they are the way to the holiest of holies. But no other God has ever laid down his life, resurrected from the grave, and ascended to the heavens, and filled his children with his spirit. Praise God. So, I want to take you on a little journey, if I could, this morning. And help you to understand that if you want to know more about Jesus, you need to understand the tabernacle. But if you want to know more about the end time and the coming of the Lord, you need to understand the feast of God. Because the feast of God speak volumes to us about God's timetable. Everything that Jesus did in the earth, is, is everybody with me today? I don't want to bore you. This, this is kind of a long introduction for a Sunday morning. I know that. Everything that Jesus did, he did with a perfect timeline. Not just for you and I, because we'll miss it in our, in our uh, American mindset. It's easy for us when we sit down and read the scripture to interpret it through American eyes, and we miss what he was doing. But everything that Jesus did, he did on high and holy days. He did on feast days. He made sure that when things happened, it happened on a time clock that they would understand. And so the Feast of Pentecost is what the Jews call Shavuot or Shavuos. And this is a feast that they call the Feast of Weeks. It is a feast that after seven weeks follows... Um, the Passover. It's very, very important, the timing. 
and how that happens. So let's deal with what's pertinent to this day today. We just came through the Passover, which is what uh, when we celebrate the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and his death, his burial, his resurrection on Resurrection Sunday. Preceding this, the Passover is when he sits down with his disciples that night, breaks the bread and says to them, take, eat, this is my body. And he hands them the cup of wine and he says, drink, for this is my blood of the new covenant. This is so important for us. This is why we continue to take communion now because he said, as oft as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. This is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you as he's on his way for his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. It is important for you and I to understand that Jesus is not just a type of some historical figure that we read about, folks. Let me tell you today, Calvary is a real place. Jesus was a real man. His death, his burial, his resurrection, it really happened. And if you can't believe that, that is exactly what religion wants to erase. They want to erase the power of the resurrection because if they can ever erase the power of the resurrection, then they can erase the power of Pentecost. And so it's important for you and I to understand that Shavuot is a feast they call the Feast of Weeks. It is a feast of first fruits, and it is a feast that deals with harvest. Where does it find its roots? Well, it finds its roots in the book of Exodus. You'll find it in the book of Exodus, the 19th chapter. And again, I'm not going to just read verse by verse and teach to you, but I would like to extrapolate out of this chapter, if I could today, some things and move forward in direction to help you understand, and God is going to move in this house before we leave. In Exodus, the 19th chapter, the children of Israel have been traveling now for just over seven weeks. It is the first day of the third month after the Exodus. They have left Egypt, and the children of Israel are now in the desert of Sinai. And the scripture says in the 19th chapter that they have camped near the Mount of Sinai. During the few weeks of traveling in the desert under divine protection and daily miracles, we find the crossing of the Red Sea. We find the manna, the quail, the miraculous sweetening of the water at Merah. And by daily miracles, the children of Israel have become more and more conscious of God. It seemed by all rights that their faith in God grew more intense day by day until they finally attain a standard of holiness, solidarity, and unity that they're beginning to finally speak in one voice as God starts to finally reply to them beyond more than just the miraculous. It's a place that I believe God is trying to bring us to. That they did not just know him by the miracles he could perform. But rather to begin to discover him and the heart of who he really was. And so in verse 3, the Bible said that Moses ascended to the Mount of Sinai, which means thorny. It's a thorny place. If you're going to get close to God, you're going to have to go through some stuff to get there. But it was a trip that he was willing to make. As he climbed that thorny mountain of Sinai. And there he began to talk with the Lord. And God spoke some things to him. In verse 3 of chapter 19, Moses went up to God. And the Lord called out to him from the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. This is a point that you'll overlook if you're not cautious because you'll get caught up in the miracles that he's performing. But the purpose of the wilderness was not the miraculous. It was to draw these men and women out of Egypt and to bring them to the heart of God. He said, I brought you out of Egypt so that I could draw you to myself. He said, therefore... I want you to obey my voice, and indeed, if you will, you'll keep my covenant. 
then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. For the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Anybody here ever read 1 Peter 2 and 9? He said, you shall be unto me a priesthood, shall be unto me a holy nation. And these are the words he said that you shall speak to the children of Israel. So in verse 7, Moses comes down to all of the elders of Israel. And the Bible said that he took the word that God had given him and he put it before their faces. And by verse 8, unanimously, with one voice and one mind. Everybody say, one mind. The children of Israel answered this. They said, we believe that everything God has said, we will do. If God said it, he said it for a reason. And they began to speak with one voice, one mind, one accord. If God said it, we're going to do it. If God said it, it matters to us. If God spoke it, we want to be in alignment. Can I tell you on Pentecost Sunday, if we have ever had this revelation and understanding, we need to get it today. That if God spoke it, we ought to do it. If God said it, we ought to be in alignment with it. Can I preach to you for a minute this morning? So the children of Israel accepted the word of God. Outright. Straight up. If that's what God said, that's what we're going to do. With all of its precepts, all of its ideas, never asking for detailed enumeration at all. They just said, if God said it, we're going to do it. It was a, what we would call a God moment. Where divinity interacted with humanity. The will of God connected with man. And they said if God said it, it matters to us. And so when they decided to follow the word of the Lord, he starts tugging on the heart of Moses again. And he speaks to Moses and he says, go to the people and prepare them today and tomorrow. He said, I want you to tell them to wash their garments. I want you to tell them to be prepared for the third day. For on the third day, he said, the Lord will descend. I'm trying to keep this together to get you where I want to take you. He said on the third day, the Lord will descend. The Lord will come down in the sight of the people. He said, I'm coming down on top of Sinai. Do you know that Sinai is the place from the Hebrew word where we derive our word for sin? And the Lord said, I want you to tell the people that if they're going to come in alignment with my word and they're going to line up with my covenant, then tell them to prepare their hearts and to wash themselves and to get ready because my spirit is getting ready to descend on top of sin. You may not realize this, but it is an Old Testament powerful prophetic pronouncement. He's saying that I'm getting ready to come down if my people will prepare their hearts and my glory will cover sin he said I'm going to come down I'm going to do it in the eyes of my people and he said it's going to be a holy moment and so Moses I want you to set boundaries for the people he said I want you to begin to establish boundaries for the children of Israel as a matter of fact he said I don't want no hand to touch it he said if they touch it they're going to be stoned or they're going to be cast down he said I don't care if it's a man or his beast it doesn't matter he said whoever touches it or whatever man lets touch it it shall not live and when the ram's horn sounded long and draws out a blast he said I want you to tell them oh God I wish I could preach it He said, I want you to tell them when the shofar sounds, that is the moment for ascension. He said, my glory is going to come down and cover sin. But when the trumpet sounds, it's the time for ascension. Maybe you're not hearing me yet. My God have mercy. And you're going to tell me this book doesn't line up, line for line, precept upon precept? I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, okay? 
Is there anybody in here snoring in Greek yet? Anybody dreaming in Hebrew? You all right? So then we come to the place that we know historically as called the revelation of Sinai. The dawn of the third day broke amid thunder and lightning that filled the air. There were heavy clouds that hung over the mountain of God. I can't imagine this sight. Steadily growing was the sound in the distance of the shofar, the horn, the trumpet. And the scripture said that it made the people shake and tremble with fear. Moses led the children of Israel out of the camp. And he placed them at the foot, the base of Mount Sinai. And the entire mountain was covered by smoke and was shaking. For your Bible says that God had descended upon the mountain with fire. The fire of the Lord has descended on the mountain. And here it is. Moses comes down. Off of the mountain with the law and the first book of the Torah, Bereshit, Genesis. Now, folks, I'm going to walk you through something here kind of slowly for just a second, but I need you to know it matters. I want to tell you that what Moses came down with was the first book of the Pentateuch and the law of God. Because the rest of the Old Testament was being written. But the information contained in the book of Genesis is powerful to us. Why is this called the revelation at Sinai? Well, I'm really glad that you asked. What was the revelation? The revelation was creation and the flood. Oh, but wait a minute. These people already knew about creation. They already knew about the flood. Let me tell you how powerful it was to them to hand down their truths, principles, and precepts by mouth. The flood was not a new story that God revealed to Moses on the mountaintop. Neither was the law. The law was already in the hearts of these people. All of the things that God spoke to them all the way even through Leviticus, such as their kosher eating laws, all of those things. You know, that was established in the book of Genesis. You don't believe me? Pull out your Bible and get with it. You're going to read that Noah was told by God, if it's kosher, bring seven. If it's not, bring two. All of this was established in the hearts of the people, but it was from Noah's perspective. It was from Noah's idea. It was a pretty big deal in the historical account of God's people that there was a great flood and all the people of the earth were destroyed except for one man and his family that found grace in the eyes of God. So it's not like they're far removed, so far removed from this that they're not still talking about it. It's the historical account that Noah told Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, what's that got to do with us? How many of you believe today that we are the children of Abraham? Red, yellow, black, and white, precious in his sight, grafted into the vine, whether Jew or Gentile, we're all the body. If you believe it, shout amen. Amen. Woo! I need you to stay with me here now. So they're finding out things. Now Moses comes down with Genesis written. The word of God is beginning to be established in the earth. But I want to talk to you a little bit about genealogy. This is the part when you get to in your Bible, you always say, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. And you flip the page really quickly because you don't like to read the names. But if you've ever glanced through them, you're going to recognize some of these. This is why the word's so important. Every begat matters. Everybody here know who Shem was? Shem is the son of Noah. Noah is the man that built the ark. The ark saved his family from the flood. Everybody's with me on the same page, Okay. Let me read you the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years. There's not going to be a pop quiz on this. But he lived 500 years and he begat sons and daughters. So let me read these to you in a hurry. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begat Selah. Selah lived 30 years and begat Eber. Eber lived... 34 years and begat Peleg. You ever read that when you were a kid and giggle? I did. Peleg lived 30 years and he begat Reu. Reu lived 32 years and begat Serug. 
Serug lived 30 years and begat Nahor. Nahor lived 29 years and begat Terah. Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is all Genesis 11. Noah was Abraham's great, 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 eight times, was Abraham's great-grandfather. Abraham was 39 years old when Noah died. We have historical accounts that, that, that we believe lead us to understand that not only did Abraham know who his eight-time removed great-grandfather was, but that he actually walked with him and spent time with him for the first 39 years of his life. So what I'm saying to you is that Noah did not just tell his story and then Moses regurgitated up several hundred years later. Absolutely not. This was from the grandfather to the grandson and all the way down from eight generations until Abraham tells Isaac and Isaac tells Jacob and you don't want to help me right now but Jacob's got a boy named Joseph who goes to Egypt oh my God and Joseph goes to Egypt and he starts talking don't you think they were in slavery for 400 years and did not know about the goodness of God it was something that did not have to be written for them to know he was good For 400 years in Egypt, they would look at their children. You can believe what you want to believe. I'm telling you, it's there. It's in the Word. We see the principles shining through. There was something about Moses' mother that caused him at a later point in his life of which Hebrews in the New Testament reveals that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did Hebrews say it was? It was his faith. His faith in what? What do you have faith in? Genesis had not been written. Deuteronomy 6 and 4 had not been written. Moses had faith in a Hebrew mother that gave him suck because God had lined it up that while he was in the bushes his Hebrew mother would be his wet nurse and that though he was raised in Egypt he was not an Egyptian oh God I want to preach to somebody this morning you don't have to believe me when I tell you this but I've got to believe with all my heart that while his mother was rocking back and forth that Jacobin had Moses in her bosom giving him suck that somewhere in the ear of that Hebrew boy that would be raised in an Egyptian palace there was a mama rocking back and forth Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Moses you may be in Egypt but you will never be an Egyptian there was something before the law was given in Exodus 19 and 20 that put faith in the heart of a man that would cause him to walk into the presence of the most powerful king in all the earth and say to him let my people go were people of covenant before covenant was recorded but what was the revelation at Sinai what was the revelation at Shavuot what was the revelation that sums up the feast of weeks what was the revelation at the feast of Pentecost I bet you're wondering how in the world you're going to come to Pentecost Sunday and I'm going to preach to you from the book of Exodus <laughs> oh I thought Pentecost was in Acts 2. Guess what? It's in, it's in Exodus 19 too. What was the revelation? Moses comes down off the mountain, Bishop. He has a tablet of ten, uh, uh, ten commandments, two tablets. And then, well, we don't have time to go into all of it. But he comes down, not only with the tablets, but with Bereshit, with Genesis. The understanding of the creation account, the flood. So what was the revelation if they all already knew it, Pastor? The revelation is that during that 40 days, oh, Lord God, Moses heard it, Mother, for the first time ever in history from the other perspective. 
because everybody else had heard Noah talk about how good God had been to him and his family. But nobody had ever heard God speak about how Noah had been good to him. This is the first time in history that anybody has ever heard the account of the flood and creation from the eye perspective of the creator. Noah told of the protection of God, but God told that he was the master of the wind. It's one thing to hear a perspective from the inside of an ark. It's another thing to hear from the perspective on the mountain of the God that guided this ark that had no direction and no authority and nowhere to go but the hand of God was on him and his family. Now let me hurry through this. And I'm getting ready to leave my introduction and finally get to my sermon, so I hope you're happy. (laughs) What I want to tell you this morning is that there must be clear understanding that Pentecost did not just start as a feast in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in 33 AD. It was a marker of a divine encounter where God visited his people. Oh, Lord Jesus. After he had brought them out of sin, so to speak. He had brought them out in the Exodus. He had brought them out of Egypt. And he had brought them to a place where they didn't understand what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. But he showed to them, I'll provide for you. I'll care for you. I'll take care of you. And it's exactly why we read way, way later in the scripture that if you'll cast your cares on him, he's all right with that. Because he cares for you. Where do they get that? Because he'll never bring you out of one thing into another thing. But what? He's going to give you the grace and everything else you need to make it through that. He is not a God that just removes you from mountain to mountain and valley to valley and trouble to trouble and then leaves you there. He's a God that will stand with you. He's still that pillar of cloud that will watch over you in the day and a pillar of fire by night. He's a good God. It astounds people when they realize that Abraham was Pentecostal. Uh-huh. Isn't that amazing? Moses was Pentecostal. Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? Come on. Pentecostal. Moses was Pentecostal because he heard from God and he shut himself up for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't sleep, he didn't eat, he became. Uh, dependent on God totally. Unreal. How do you not eat or sleep for 40 days and still be sustained? Ever wondered? I can tell you. Because he was in the presence of life. He was surrounded by the glory of God. And the word of God was downloading into him. Moses, before you ever got put in bulrushes in a little ark, I want to tell you that I started lining this stuff up, son. You didn't just lead these people out here so you can end up on the pages of history. I have lined some things up that you're going to end up in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Moses, I want you to understand that it was not just providence that moved that ark from one place to the other. It was my almighty hand. It was not just happenstance and coincidence that the door of that ark came up and closed and that it opened when it wanted to. It wasn't predicated on water pressure, son. It was because I was in control of the whole thing. And Moses came down with an assurance that if God was in control for Noah, his great, 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 great grandfather, that God was in control of him and God was in control of that wilderness. Sometimes we forget it was the wilderness. Are you hearing me? The wilderness, the desert, a dry place where the glory of God was revealed to men. Some of us are looking for placid waters. Some of us are looking for beautiful green pastures. But the Lord said, Moses, I want you to know in the middle of a wilderness, I will show myself to you. I'll be more mighty than you've ever dreamed. And so, the revelation at Sinai was this is the first time in history that they've ever heard it from God's perspective. So when Moses sat down, and he said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Who told you that? 
he did when I got with him. That didn't come from Noah, no. That didn't come from Noah. Brother Stephen, it came from God. God spoke. So this is not, this is not Noah's doctrine about God. This is God's doctrine about himself. I did it all by myself. I created man in my image. And in my image, I created male and female. Listen, this is not something that got lost in translation from Noah to Abraham to Moses. This is God speaking. Can I tell you right now that God doesn't mind telling you he doesn't need any help to be God. He's God enough to do it all by himself. So what was the evidence was the evidence well I'm so thankful that you would ask that this morning because I came to preach what was the evidence the evidence was that as Moses ascended if I could say it like this and maybe some of you will start getting your radar to go off right here Moses had to ascend into an upper room on a mountaintop for the glory of God to be made manifest. It had to be at a time of ascension. When he goes to a place. Listen folks. I don't know if you realize this or not. But God does everything with order. I, I don't have time to. I don't even have time to get off into this. But I just want to tell you. It's what's amazing. Is one of the great reasons. That we connect this. During, during, during the Jewish holiday. Shavuot. In many synagogues they read. Brother Haney the book of Ruth. Because Ruth is connected to David. David was the king of Israel. And it is said by Jewish history. I don't know how to prove it. But it's said by Jewish history. That David was born on Shavuot. And David died on Shavuot. That David was born on Pentecost. And he died on Pentecost. But in Jerusalem today. If you go to the upper room. Where the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost. Guess who's buried on the first level of the upper room. So that's why we Pentecostals are not ashamed to clap our hands and stomp our feet. Because everything we know about praise, we got it from David. And David said, oh, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God. Uh, I got, I got to hurry. I don't have time to stay there. The sign was he ascended to a high place. So the Lord takes his disciples and he says, I want you to go to a place that I've visited you before. I want you to take them to the place that I sat with you at Passover and wait. So they go back to the same upper room. Well, did this happen with Moses? It did. Because when Moses comes out into the wilderness when he's on the run, the Bible says he's on the backside of the desert. You read the story. I can't stay here long. He saw a Hebrew man getting killed. Y'all remember the story. So he takes care of business. And then he exiles and leaves Egypt. And he comes to a place where there's a burning bush and fire and smoke. And the bush is not consumed. Does anyone want to take a, anybody want to take a guess geographically where Moses was? He was at the base of Sinai where the bush was not consumed because you will never lead people to a place corporately, God have mercy, where you have not been privately. Oh, God. And so Moses comes to that familiar place and God begins to speak to him again. How do he recognize his voice? Because if you ever heard that voice coming out of a burning bush, you're not going to have trouble distinguishing that voice. And so God begins to speak to him. And he says, Moses, I want you to tell the people that I'm getting ready to descend on them. And I'm going to speak to you. And they're going to hear it. They're going to hear my voice. And they're going to know exactly what I'm saying. And then I want you to come up here and let me talk to you. The sign was that he ascended into a high place. And then there came down fire out of heaven. And it consumed the top of that mountain. And it was there for the first time that we really see in history that God connected with man like this. And that God 
God began to speak to man and through man like this. It had never really happened on this measure like it did with Moses. But in the book of Acts, the second chapter, it said when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Anybody know what it takes to make a shofar go off and make noise? Oh, I, I can't hear y'all. Let me turn my hearing aid up. What, what do you got to put through a shofar to make some noise? Oh. You ever wondered about this? There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. You ever wonder what that sounded like? You think maybe this was just a little preliminary sound to the last trump we're going to hear oh my god and the lord was saying let me just show you a little preview and just blow a little wind into this room. Let me get you up here in a higher place and let me blow into this room. And the Bible said, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of and it sat upon each of them. Folks, I want to tell you something today. I don't have time to preach this. There's no way I can ever get to this. But I just want to tell you something. It's amazing to me that God chose the day in Jerusalem to pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. On the day that people came to Jerusalem to celebrate his glory descending on the people. And fire appearing on the mountain. And the word of God being spoken from his perspective. This is the first time that the spirit of God moves and, and comes to man from a heavenly perspective like this. But the book of Acts, the second chapter, is the first time that heaven does not just come to earth. But it comes inside of a man. And now, what rested on top of that mountain in Sinai, oh God is now inside of me. The glory of God. The power of God. Can I tell you right now that the Holy Ghost is more than just something that will make you talk in tongues. It is the Spirit of God that will rest on you. It is the power of God. When the spirit of truth has come, it will lead and guide you into truth. There is always revelation that comes with the spirit of truth. I feel like telling somebody today that the Holy Ghost is more than just a feel good. It's the power of God dwelling within us. Some say they would like to have been there. When the law of God was given, maybe you would have. I'm not so sure I would have. The Bible said it was such fear that the men and women began to tremble and shake. It was so powerful that the Lord said to them, don't touch it. Don't even touch it because you can't handle this yet. How did they know that? How did God know that? How, how, did, how did Moses know to obey? How did, how did all that come together? You know, this was proven in the very next chapter. Because while Moses is up there and the Spirit of God is resting and talking on him, they're showing how much they don't have Egypt out of them. And the Lord said, until I get this out of you, you're not ready to touch this thing. But when you start getting yourself ready, somebody shout repentance. Man, I wish I had time to preach this. But if you'll learn the power of repentance and you'll get over your former ways and you'll get that out of your spirit, not only will my spirit come to you, my spirit will come in you. On Shavuot, in the book of Exodus, the spirit of God rested on them. But in Acts, the second chapter, the spirit of God rested in them. And it arrested them and made them new creatures. I want to tell you right now, 
I've got a serious problem with people that preach you can get the Holy Ghost and it won't change your life. You didn't get the Holy Ghost I've got. It'll make you run. It'll make you dance. It'll make you shout. It'll turn you upside down. It'll make you love everybody. If it was powerful enough to make the earth shake and powerful enough to consume a mountain, it's powerful enough to consume your faults and your failures and your past and your hatred and your bitterness. Oh! I'm done. So you can stand, sit, whatever you want. Shavuot has to do with two things, Bishop. The giving of the law and the day the Lord came down. And harvest. Isn't it something that on the Feast of Pentecost, the marker of his voice and his presence coming to earth, and the marker of their harvest, that the Spirit of God rested in an upper room and began to, to reap the harvest for the first century church. Folks, I want to tell you why it's important to stay biblically sound in your doctrine. Because I don't have a different Holy Ghost than Peter had. I haven't been baptized a different way than Paul was. I didn't get baptized a different way than Cornelius did in Acts 10. This experience that we've got today. If you'll just leave it alone. Untouched. Unbothered. Unfiltered. Not through a lens of Catholicism or Reformation. But Bishop, just like they did in Exodus. Said if if he said it, we're going to do it. Here's something I've never understood. If the Holy Ghost feels so good, Brother Luper, and it feels so good for my sin to be washed away, why in the world would I want to tell somebody you don't have to do this? If you got the Holy Ghost I've got, it's good enough that you want everybody to have it. If you're in this place today and you have never repented of your sins, you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins, and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you want to do it, Pentecost Sunday would be a great day to do it. Can you imagine the stories that will be told throughout the ages in heaven? Then on Pentecost Sunday, 2020, I went to an old-fashioned altar and I repented of my sins and I got myself ready for the third day. Death, burial, resurrection. Come on, somebody say it with me. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. Be baptized. Now, how, y- how y'all going to preach at me like that now? He said, Repent. You got to die out. Be baptized in Jesus' name. You got to be buried. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Do you think anybody in the wilderness had a clue what the Lord was talking about when he said, get ready for the third day? He was saying to them, we've got to get you ready for that resurrection day. We've got to get you ready for the resurrection.
Well, you New Testament people are just crazy. All you got to stand on is Acts 2.38. Wow. I guess you didn't see it when they walked out of Egypt, did you? Because the first thing they did was pass through the water. Next thing they did was they got under the cloud. So can I tell you? He didn't just wait till Acts to establish this. He told them specifically, if you want to walk with me, you got to get out of Egypt and repent of your sins. If you want to walk with me, you got to go through the water and be baptized in my name. If you want to walk with me, you got to get under the cloud and let the Holy Ghost dwell in you. Come on, I'm waiting on somebody this morning that wants to repent of your sin and make sure that on that great getting up morning, everything's going to be all right. Are you here this morning? Come on. Never repented. Never been baptized in Jesus' name. Never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. This will be a good day. We're about to open it up right here. I feel the Holy Ghost pulling on somebody right now. Come on, I want to challenge you right now. Just lift those hands. Lord Jesus. Hey. I feel him up here in a powerful way right now. It's the kindness of the Lord that's leading you to repentance right now. I wish you could feel what I feel right now there's a stirring in the water this morning there's a drawing of the Holy Ghost hey I feel a little Pentecost in here right now If you got the Holy Ghost down in your soul, just like the Bible said, this altar is open right now. And I want you to step out and begin to give God praise. I got the Holy Ghost down in my soul. Just like the 